Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkchen. Gentlemen, how was your Christmas? Good. How about you guys? Good. Good. It was good to spend time with family. And before we do get started here, I do want to remind you that if you are in the market to sell your current home or to purchase your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to help you. Give Herb an email or a call today, and he will get you on the road to purchasing your next home or your first home. All right, gentlemen, Patriots pick up a big 26-23 win on Christmas Eve night in Denver. And look, I know a lot of people, specifically the tanking crowd, is not happy about that primarily because the Patriots did drop two spots in the potential NFL draft order in April. They went from having the second pick in the draft to the fourth pick in the draft. But look, here's the thing. We can we can sit here and talk about them tanking and doing all this stuff all we want. The bottom line is, like we've said all along, they're paid professionals. They're not going to tank. Bill Belichick's not going to tank. They're going to come to play. I think what this win says more than anything else is, that if this team had gotten consistent quarterback play all year, if the offensive line was better and the receivers were a little better, this is probably a team that, once again, and, and I know this doesn't excite people, but this is probably a 7-10, and 8-9, may I say even 9-8 and eight team. What this says is that this team is better than their record, but because they've gotten inconsistent play at three key positions, that's why they're 4-11. and 11. Yeah, look, we talked about this the other night. Uh, if you can't write that story, just in general about what happened, the effort they gave, the way it ended, um, even if you're the most staunch you know, draft guy and you wanted them to, to maintain that position, if nothing else, it was an awesome story, a, a nice little win on Christmas Eve. And um, personally, I think Bailey Zappi is making a case to, at the very least, have a, a shot at being a, a part of the competition. To, to start next year. Um, I'm not saying he's QB1 by any means. I do still think, obviously, you need at least one more body in here, maybe two. But um, he showed you something the other night, especially with that last drive, given you know those first two run plays were um, questionable at best. But um, he's shown something. I think the team has shown they'll rally around him. And for me, the biggest thing is just um, they're still playing for Bill. And I know, John, you've said that for weeks now that they would, but I was really worried about that spot for like the last month now. Again, Christmas Eve at 3-11 and 11 out in Denver. Um, I didn't think they had much to play for, but it proved me wrong. And again, it was a nice little story, if nothing else. Yeah, it's great. And I, I'm glad that they can enjoy some wins. Like, we said it here on the show before, but like, how like tough must be that to, to be going to practice every day and, and trying to win? And you know, everywhere you go, people think you're a loser. You're 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 a loser on a losing team. For them to have a chance to be winners and, and win a game like this, it's a team that's not bad. You know, like that's that's not a bad team they just beat. Um, you know, I'm happy for the players. You know, like they're they're still playing hard, and I think that's cool to see. And honestly, like I don't care about the draft spot at this point in time. Like, there's still a lot of football to be played. Well, not a lot. There's still some football to be played. 
I don't think tanking is a good thing to do. I've, I've, I've said that a lot on this show. I just don't like tanking uh, because I feel like if you if you start going down that road, you get stuck there. You get stuck losing and trying to lose and always reaching for that next person, you know, in the draft. And I, I think some, some people that talk about it don't really even know who these players are in terms of like Caleb Williams versus Drake May. It's it's all the same to them. It's just all who ESPN tells them to like. And it's not like this. Have, have, have any of these fans who are upset about losing Drake May actually walk, watched a full Drake May game? Do they know anything other than what people just tell them to think on Twitter? No, I, I just think it's it's you got a lot of frauds out there saying saying this kind of stuff. So, I, for me, I I want them to remember what it's like to win, to beat a good team, and to to play play your hearts out out there. And so, I was happy for the team that they got that win. Yeah, I mean, I can understand the desire to have the franchise quarterback, and obviously, the higher you pick, the better your chances are of potentially landing that franchise quarterback. But again. For all the people out there that are pissed off that they won, the bottom line is unless they lose straight up, they're not going to tank. They're not going to purposely lose. They're not going to purposely make decisions during the course of the game to cost them the game. They're not going to healthy scratch certain players so that they don't play, so that they do lose. I think the bottom line is this. Like I said to open the show, I think when you look at this team, I think that that defense potentially – Maybe not so much statistically, but potentially he's a top 10 unit in this league. They played pretty well most of the year. And I think that the lesson that you can take out of the last three weeks is that had this team gotten consistent quarterback play all year, they probably have a couple more wins, if nothing else, maybe two or three more wins. Now, are they a playoff team? Probably not. But they're a team that is probably in position to maybe win seven or eight games. And again, I know that that's not what the fans want to hear, and I get it, and that's not improvement from last year because if you think about it, this offseason, we were sold improvement, right? The owner came out, put out a a message to the fans saying that we we vow that we're going to be better, that we're going to do whatever it takes to win, that we'll be more accountable. But at the end of the day, that hasn't happened. But I do think, like I said, this illustrates that Have the quarterback position been more stable? Have the offensive line been more stable? Have the receivers been better? This is a team that offensively would have been better and could have been in a better spot. And look, again, all right, so you're not picking second. You're not going to get Drake May, okay? I get it. But even if you end up picking fourth or fifth, now you're in position to possibly draft Jaden Daniels out of LSU, assuming he ends up in the top ten. You're possibly in position to try to draft either Olaf Oshnu, the tackle from Penn State, or Joe Alt, the tackle from Notre Dame. They're still in a pretty good spot to potentially get a very good player that could help this team for a long time moving forward. So I think even if they – because to me, fellas, I think them winning this week is a long shot. Buffalo has way too much to play for. They need this one. They're at home. They got embarrassed the first time they played losing to the Patriots that they obviously are going to be looking for revenge. But they can win that Jets game to close out the season. So if you win that Jets game, you finish 5-12, and 12, you probably end up with the fifth pick. Again, I think you're going to get a pretty good football player there that can be a foundational piece that can help your team moving forward. 
Now, before we look ahead to Buffalo, I do want to get your thoughts on the quarterback situation. Obviously, Bailey Zappi has been better than Mac Jones was. In some ways, he has stabilized the position. Kevin, you mentioned this earlier. At the very least, he's back next year and probably has a shot to compete for the starting job. If he continues to play well, let's say he plays well Sunday, he plays well in the season finale, obviously you bring him back. But do you let him compete for the starting job? Or is it a fait accompli that you're moving on and you're starting over at the position? No, I mean, I think you need to see what you have coming in in August and July, right? Like, the competition, 100%. He's not QB1 off the bat, though. There's no way. Um, you need to know who's here. You need to see who you can draft. You need to see um, a lot of different things. So, no, he's not QB1 right off the bat. But does he deserve to compete for the job? Absolutely. Um, this could have been way uglier and, um, they could be a one or two win team if he hadn't, you know, come in and at least steadied the ship a little bit. So, um, he absolutely deserves a chance, but you need to draft somebody and, and you need to bring in a veteran, I think too. And don't forget, Mac is still cheap for another year. So, um, he might very well be back in the room too. So competition. Yes. Automatic. No. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's all like, he's, he's great for having, an ability to push whoever the next guy is like, I mean, it, he can compete for the job, but at the same time, if you bring somebody in, say they pick somebody at number four uh, and that's who they want to start. Zappy is a, is the perfect guy to provide competition for him right off the bat. And you want the kid, whoever comes in to be aware that he has to compete with somebody that he's not just going to be given the job. And so if, 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 if Zappi can do that, I think that's uh, beneficial to the team. Yeah, and I definitely I think he's too. back. I definitely think he's back, and I definitely think he's in the mix. But, again, I think you both bring up good points in that. There's going to be another quarterback in the room. Question is, who is that other quarterback? And John Lyons brought this up the other night on the postgame show, and I thought it was a pretty good point. If you do decide to bring in a veteran, at that point you might as well – stick with Zappi and draft a quarterback early, whether it be in the first or the second round, and not waste your time bringing in a veteran because Zappi could be that veteran guy. Do you buy that? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think he's at the very least allowed them to reconsider how they approach the draft, um, whether that means trading picks or what, or or taking a quarterback in the second round. If nothing else, you don't have to push and scramble and maybe settle for a guy that you don't necessarily want in that first round at the position. So if nothing else, he at least um, he gives them an opportunity to reconsider how they're going to draft this year. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm curious to see how he finishes the season, but I like, I mean, you got to understand that like that Zappi isn't like some physical Marvel. He's not super tall. He's not chucking the ball around the field with a cannon of an arm. He's just a, at this point, he's he's somebody who gets by on, you know, knowing where to go with the ball and knowing the offense. Um, but I think he's the perfect guy. He's like he, – I, I would say he's like a perfect backup, like a guy who can come in and win some games when the starter goes down. Um, I don't think he's a long-term, you know, every game starter. But I think he's better than a lot of backups you see around the league. And um, and I do think he's he's – if he's not the starter, he's he's pretty close to it, and that's a testament to him. 
you know, as a guy who came in here as a fourth round draft pick and people wrote him off right away. And, you know, just to see what he's able to do now is pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and I think Matt Kern agrees with you, and Matt's checking in. Thanks for checking in, Matt. Zappi is a sedated Scott Zolak, a career backup, nice to have on a bench, not someone you trust with the uh, trust the keys with. Um, yeah, I think that that's – and I think everybody would agree with that, right? I think that we all agree that he's he's not the answer long term. He's been a nice story. He's done a really nice job of stabilizing the position. He's playing smarter than Mac. He's, he's taking care of the ball better than Mac. But realistically, long term, this team needs to address the quarterback position, whether it be in the draft or even in free agency. They need a long term answer at the position. And I think that the tanking crowd, part of their issue is the fact that they view this as a missed opportunity, that the Patriots were in position going into Sunday's game to possibly end up with the number one pick. Then you can either take a Caleb Williams or a Drake May. Now they've blown it. I will say this, and I know that this has been unpopular with the tank crowd and some of the fans out there, but a lot of people in the media have said this, and I agree with it. If the Patriots are that hell-bent, first of all, we have to see who's the primary decision-maker here, who's going to make this decision ultimately. Is it going to be Bill Belichick, or is it going to be a new general manager and coach? That remains to be seen. But I will say this. If there's a certain level of conviction in that war room come this spring for one of these guys, whether it be Caleb Williams, Drake May, or even Jaden Daniels, then you know what? Go up and get them. Go up and get them. Sacrifice some of the future. Put a deal together. Chicago's going to be open for business. Chicago does not need, especially if Justin Fields continues to play the way he's been playing, Chicago could very well stand pat with him and say, you know what? We're putting a for sale sign on that first pick. It's yours for the right price. And so I think at the end of the day, if that's the case, and let's say you really like Drake May, do what the Houston Texans did this past April. Be aggressive. Make a trade. Go up and get the guy you want. Yes, you're going to have to mortgage some of the future. And yes, that sucks. But if you feel that strongly about one of these quarterbacks, whoever the primary decision maker is here, then you know what? If you're not in a position to take them because you're picking fourth or fifth, then pick up the phone, start making phone calls, and go up and get the guy you want. It can happen. It's going to, it's going to come at a cost. There's going to be a price to pay, but it can happen. And I think that I'd like to see the Patriots take that approach here if they feel that strongly about Drake May. I know that, Stone, you drag me into this every week, and, and I feel like we're going to get dragged back into this conversation again about Belichick's future. Before we do that real quick, though, um, just some thoughts on this weekend. Obviously, like I said earlier, this is a tough game for the Patriots to win. They embarrassed Buffalo earlier this season. It was a bad loss for the Bills. Bills are playing their best football of the season right now. I mean, they've been terrific of late. They picked up – they didn't look great on Saturday night against the Chargers team that has packed it in, but they still found a way to get the win. They went out in Kansas City won a couple of weeks ago, though I don't know how big a win that is nowadays. But nonetheless, they're playing their best football of the season. A lot at stake here. They could really go a long way in solidifying their playoff position with a win on Sunday against the Patriots. This is a must-win game for Buffalo because they close out the season in Miami. Yeah, I mean, tough spot, obviously, and especially if you have the number of bodies out that you had in Denver. Um, that team's not nearly as talented, so you could get away with it, and you still barely won, you know, on a last-second field goal. So, tough spot. You need bodies back if, if 
you're going to have any chance. But look, I didn't expect to see the effort I saw in Pittsburgh or Denver. So at this point, I expect a close game. Um, divisional games are always close, right? So I don't think this is a blowout by any means. Um, I do think Buffalo wins, but again, given the effort that we've seen in some spots, we really didn't expect to see it. I expect them to be up for this game and, and try to play spoiler. They've all talked about it. Um, that's really the only thing you can focus on this time of year. So why not go in and try to screw a divisional rival? You know, I have a playoff spot if you can. So I do think Buffalo wins, but I think it's close. Maybe, I don't know, seven, 10 point game in the end. I agree. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but it's the way I look at it is this gives you a chance to measure how well you've played to this point and how, how well you'll play against a really good team. I, I think like I think this I think this Buffalo team, I don't be surprised if they get all the way to the Super Bowl this year. Um and that's kind of kind of what everybody was saying at the beginning of the year, but not as people many people are saying it now. But I still think this is a really good Buffalo team. And you can just see see where you stand, you know, see see how you stack up against these guys, one of the best teams in the league. And so um I think Buffalo's better and that will win, but I do think the Patriots will We'll make a game of it. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I think that I don't think it'll be that close. I still think Buffalo ends up winning by ten to fourteen, but I do think the Patriots can hang around with them. They can play them tough at least for three quarters. There's always the cream rises. They're the better team. They're the more talented team. Uh, Buffalo's been a disappointment, and I have not been on the Buffalo bandwagon like a lot of people have nationally for the last few years. While I'm a big Josh Allen fan. And, and I was one of his biggest advocates coming out of that draft. Uh, for me, I think that this team is perennially underachieved. I also don't think they're as good at certain positions as people think. And the other thing we have to take into account, and it does matter, it mattered in the first matchup, Buffalo's injuries on defense. I mean, they're without Matt Milano. They're without Tredavious White. Last week they were without Micah Hyde as well. Those are big losses on that side of the ball, losses that are hard to overcome. You don't have good enough depth to replace those guys. I don't care who you are. So that certainly factored into the way their defense was playing earlier this season. But their defense has been much better, and their offense has been much better. And a big reason for that is, even though he still will force one or two bad balls a game, Allen's done a better job of taking care of the football. There's been more of a commitment to the running game, and I think that has mattered. And I think ultimately that's where the difference is in this game. Josh Allen, despite his inconsistencies, Still top five quarterback in this league, a guy that can make plays, especially plays out of nothing. I think that will give the Patriots defense some problems. And again, I think the Patriots hang around. But in the end, I think that this is one of those 28-14, 28-17 kind of games where the Patriots will get theirs at certain times. But ultimately, Buffalo will do enough to win this game and set themselves up to not only clinch a playoff spot, but at the very least, get a higher seed with a win at Miami the following week. So should be a good game. Patriots have played pretty well, even since Tom Brady left town. Patriots have played pretty well up there. So I think we all agree that they probably will play well once again. You are watching slash listening to the New England football show sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirch. And I do want to remind you guys, and I didn't get a chance to say this when we started the show, we are not on Twitter tonight. There's an issue with my Twitter account. Apparently, it appears that we've been locked out. So we've got to get that resolved. When we do, and my hope is that we get it resolved by tomorrow, we will repost the show tomorrow so that it will be on Twitter. 
Um, but we do want to apologize for that. We also want to apologize for the podcast. We haven't updated the podcast since the end of October. A big reason for that is there's been issues with Spotify. Unfortunately, that is the easiest way for us to get our podcast out there. And the goal is to try to get those issues resolved. We've been trying for weeks, but unfortunately it has not happened. So we do apologize. And we have a lot of people out there who enjoy listening to this show in podcast form. We're working to get that fixed. We may end up having to start over and start with a, a newer episode now. So we may end up missing the last few episodes on there. If that's the case, we'll let you know. Again, technology can be very fickle. We're doing the best we can to get these issues resolved. And as I, before we move forward, I should say, I do want to remind you that we are brought to you by Mortgage Right. Give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846, or shoot him an email at situate.mortgageright.com. Herb and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends to help you. There's no off-season in the real estate market, folks. In fact, best time to buy a house is this time of year, in the winter. Less competition, lenders can, can close faster, and sellers might be more willing to take a deal. So if you are in the market to buy a house, this might be the right time to do it, January and February. It's a pretty good time to buy before the spring rush. So if you are in that position and you are ready to purchase your first home or your next home, like I said, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846, or shoot him an email at situate.mortgageright.com. All right, gentlemen, Thursday, and I know, Stone, you've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Thursday, we have the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, which will feature the Boston College Eagles versus the SMU Mustangs. Boston College finished 6-6 six and six and gained this bowl bid uh, a couple weeks back. SMU won the American Conference, and that's how they got this bowl bid. Pretty good season for the Mustangs all around. Uh, look, I think when you look at this game for Boston College, a lot of the talk the last couple weeks has been the job they've done in the portal. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on that because I think they've done a terrific job in the portal upgrading this roster for next season at a lot of key spots. But let's get into this game and talk about it and preview it here. I think for me, Boston College has a shot here. SMU has been really, really good. I think that the, their offense has been explosive. They can make big plays. They get timely turnovers on defense. But if Boston College can find a way to slow this thing down, and make Cassianos and Robichaud the focal point and be physical along both the offensive and defensive lines and control the line of scrimmage, they can do those things. They can win this football game. Yeah, I agree. Um, look, during that five-game winning streak, they were arguably the best running team in the country. Um, you still have that offensive line in front of you, and you still have Robichaud, you still have Castellanos. So, yeah, they need to dominate time of possession, like 30, 35 minutes, maybe more. Um, they're a 14 point dog for a reason. So yeah, keep the, the, the SMU offense off the field. Um, and, and hope that Castellanos and Robichaud on the offensive line can ultimately carry you. But I do, part of me does want to see what they've, if anything, what they've added during these last, you know, 15 practices in terms of, I guess, wrinkles on offense or, um, just sort of some new things that we haven't seen in the passing game. Maybe like, I'm curious to see if there's anything there, but um, yeah, of course they have a shot. It's a bowl game. You never know. Both teams have been off for a while. There's a, there's a large gap in play there. So whoever gets off to the faster start probably ends up winning the game. But um, again, 14 point dogs, it's going to be tough, but I keep going back to the spot and um, yeah, I, it's, 
I don't expect them to win, but I don't expect them to get blown out either. And we've been saying this for weeks. John, you said this, you know, in training camp, practices are the most important thing. So the fact that they've had 15 more to kind of build heading into the offseason, that's the biggest part of this entire weekend. Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting game because SMU is definitely the favorite. They've blown out a lot of pretty good teams. Um, but I, I hear you on the guys. Uh, I hear you guys on the on the style that BC should take, and I, I feel like a lot, not all, but a lot of the teams that SMU has played are, are those up tempo, fast, wide open offenses. And if you can be something other than that, that will be helpful uh, in this game. And I, you know, Cavs right there. Their their running game was on fire during that five win, uh, five game win streak. Um, not saying they'll definitely do that, but I feel like that's that's the best way to go. Get on the ground, be physical. It's in the Northeast. It's it's you know, it's it's in a place that uh, you know, they're not familiar with. So um, just get that running game going and see where it takes you. Yeah, I, I think that this is a tall order primarily because I think SMU's offense is going to be is going to be a problem. Brett Lashley. That staff, they've done a terrific job with this program, getting it turned around. Of course, they're going to be joining the ACC next year. Boston College is going to see a lot of SMU in the coming years. I think they're going to play five times between now and 2029. So they're going to be a pretty familiar opponent. The Eagles go to Dallas next season to play the Mustangs. So um, in many ways, this is the beginning of what could be a nice little rivalry in the ACC between these two high academic good football schools. Uh, but I, look, again, and I've always said this, it's easier said than done to run the football and control the clock. We could say it, but then you got to go out and do it. And the thing is, it is supposed to rain on Thursday, and it is supposed to be in the 40s, so that certainly will help Boston College get more acclimated to this weather. But it's not exactly toasty warm this time of year in Dallas either. It's, it's, it's very similar. It's probably maybe 10 to 12 degrees warmer, but – it's not that much warmer. So I, I'm not sure how much the weather will factor into this game. And I'm not here to play Jim Cantori and talk about the weather. But I do think, again, the recipe for success in this game for the Eagles is going to be ball control. You've got to find a way to control the clock, keep that SMU offense off the field, and you've got to convert on third down. It's been a problem for this team. They've had an issue all season long converting on third down. They're inconsistent in that area. They're also inconsistent in terms of getting stops on third down. That's going to be a key as well because, again, the, your secondary is really thin. Okay, There's a couple of guys that you've lost. There's some issues there. Yeah, you'll have most of the front seven intact, but you're going to have some issues on the back end. And covering these receivers and, and stopping this SMU passing game is going to be a tall order. But Boston College can win this game. And, and look, I don't I don't give a rat's ass what Vegas says, whatever. They're 14-point dogs. That's fine. I, I'm not sure SMU's 14 points better than Boston College even this year. But I do think that if BC can do what they've done all year, which is leaned on that revamped offensive line, lean on Castellanos and Robichaux, they can win this game. Those guys are going to have to play really well. Kevin, we've talked about this all year. Castellanos' inconsistency in the passing game has been a problem. But if he's better throwing the football, I think they can be okay. I think what it's going to come down to is their ability to convert on third down and control the clock. Now, I do want to quickly talk about what they've done in the portal because 
you know, Jeff Halfley talked about this a couple of weeks ago, this admission that, you know what, we're now going to, we're now going to keep up with the Joneses and we're going to live in the portal too. It's not just going to be everybody else that's going to tap into the portal to rebuild their rosters. We're going to do it as well. I thought they did a really good job repopulating this roster last year in the portal. They might be doing an even better job this year. They've done a really good job at adding some impact guys that can come in and help this football team moving forward. A lot of guys that are going to have more than one year of eligibility. Just some thoughts on the job that Halfley and his staff have done so far in the transfer portal. Look, it's one thing to say it. It's another to do it. Backed up everything he said. Um, Halfley's back. There's still a lot of work to be done, of course. But, I mean, look, you have two defensive backs from Ohio State that he recruited now coming here. You just had a kid flip his commitment from South Carolina. Uh, a Vanderbilt receiver, his, his name is escaping me right now. But Yes, thank you. Yeah, so, I mean, they're not just getting kids out of the portal. They're getting kids some, from some pretty, some pretty big um, programs. So, again, there's a lot more work to be done, and I know the dead period starts, I want to say, this week or next week. Um, I think next week maybe. So, uh, there'll be a little break there. But, look, again, it's one thing to say it. It's another to do it. These kids need to prove it on the field, of course, and we've got a long way to go. But if you're a BC fan, how can you not be happy with – at least the effort that Halfley and the staff are making to go bring in kids from some pretty big time, you know, big time programs. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I wish it, it didn't happen this way, but I think this is the way of college football in 2023. This is what it is. If I know initially he didn't want to do that when, when it first became a thing, he didn't want to live in the portal, but if, Again, like you guys have been saying, if you fall behind in the portal, you'll feel it on the field. It's it's just it's just part of recruiting now. Recruiting kids from other schools, recruiting kids in the portal. So, I think it's impressive what he's put together. These look like good players to me. I haven't heard of all of them, but um, I think it's I think it's a good start, um, and it's a nice base from which to work uh, going forward. You know, I think they've done a terrific job. And a lot of these players are guys that are going to come in and make an immediate impact. Even when you look at the list, I mean, you got Jaran Bradley, big 6'5", 220-pound receiver coming in from Texas Tech. He gives them some size on the outside. He'll be he'll be a really good match with what they have coming back with Jaden Skeet and Lewis Bond and Joe Griffin. Uh, Jordan McDonald and Trayshawn Ward. Ward is an experienced guy. Played at Florida State, played at K-State. He's got a lot of meaningful carries. He's a guy that has experience. You bring him and McDonald in, they'll be a nice complement to what they already have in that backfield. They're revamping their entire running back room, in, that's, in essence. You know, you mentioned Ryan Turner and Cameron Martinez coming in from Ohio State. Two guys that, you know, people forget these guys were four-star recruits just uh, over two years ago. They commit to Ohio State. Now they're three-star guys in the portal. These are two really big ads. These are two guys that can both step in and start for Boston College from day one next year. Um, I really, really like Bryce Keith, Bryce Keith, I'm sorry, Bryce Keith Brown as well, the Dorchester native, who's transferring in from Georgia State. Another guy with some good length. He's athletic. He can reroute people. He's a guy that can make plays in phase, in coverage. Another one of these Halfley corners, Halfley likes those corners with the length. They can get handsy and, and and carry routes vertically. He can do that. 
He's very good. And Kamari Morales, tight end position in this offense, has been non-existent the last few years. Morales could really step in and give them some much-needed production there next year. So they have done a tremendous, tremendous job in the portal. And, and again, are these guys going to turn them into a national title contender? No. Are they even going to turn them into an ACC title contender? Who knows? Probably not. But you can be a better football team with these guys next year. And look, we could sit here and we could say whatever the hell we want about the portal. This is life in college football now. NIL and portal are the way to go. And if you think, like Boston College did even going into last season, if you think that somehow your degree is going to entice these kids to come to you, you're kidding yourself. That isn't enough. You need to have an NIL initiative. There needs to be some coin in that NIL initiative. You need to have some money coming in. And you need to sell these kids that you can develop them to play at the next level. And Halfley has that reputation, especially with defensive backs, so that's always going to help. But I think this idea that, well, it's a BC degree, and if you're a grad transfer, you can come here and get a BC degree and set yourself up for the future. All that stuff sounds great. It doesn't mean two shits to the average kid nowadays. I hate to tell you, I know that's me coming off strong, but that is the reality. We need to be realistic here. If you want to win games as a Power 5 school in the ACC, you need to have ACC or better caliber talent. And they've had that in spots, but they haven't always had it. And so this idea where a year ago or a year and a half ago, if you ask someone at Boston College, hey, how are you going to deal with the portal now? And how are you going to deal with NIL? And they would say to you, well, man, our degree is worth a lot more than NIL money. It is. I agree. But guess what? You know who doesn't agree? The kids that are in the portal. They want something more than that. So I think Boston College has figured that out. I think they've recognized that. And I think that that will certainly help them. And I think, look, you know, even when you look around the other programs in the area, UConn, as of, I believe, this weekend, only brought in two kids in the portal. So here we are saying Boston College is doing this and doing that in the portal. UConn has done the complete opposite. They're basically saying, you know what, we're still going to try to win organically and we're still going to try to to do this the developmental way, which, again, it's still early. The one thing with the portal is, I mean, you're 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 living in the portal all offseason. It's not something where you're only living in the portal, you know, a couple of months out of the year and then you're, you know, you're on to recruiting just high school kids. So we'll see there. And UMass, too, by the way, has done a terrific job using the portal. And, of course, as we've talked about during the season and even this offseason, they need to be – effective in the portal. It's been a big part of Don Brown's rebuild efforts the last two years. They need to live in the portal. They'll always need to live in the portal if they want to be competitive. They had a pretty good signing date as well last week, bringing in some quality players. One of the things I saw on Twitter, and I want to get your guys' takes on this, there's a lot of people that are big UMass voices that were talking about the fact that they felt that UMass had done a good job recruiting Massachusetts and getting Massachusetts talent or at least selling themselves to some of the Massachusetts talent that was out there. Do you buy that? No. No. No, um, no, no they, they didn't really do well with, like, the top guys in Massachusetts. Um, they did okay. Like, they brought in a couple guys. But I think, you know, 
it's it's one of those things where I don't think it's I don't it the, to get by with the the years that they've been having so far. I think it's just hard to recruit <laughs> them because they can't se- they can't sell these guys on a successful you know eight win team or or even a five win team. It's just been so hard, and so I think that's the reason why you know even with Don Brown who has tons of respect in this state, just tons of respect in this state. They have a go- now. When they get it going, will they be able to bring more local guys in? Of course they will, but it it's just hard when you're not winning to get kids even from your home state. It's just hard. Yeah, not only that. If I'm a UMass fan, do I want local kids? Yeah, sure. But I'd almost rather Don Brown using that name Cachet to go around the country and get some better talent. And I know we've said Massachusetts is is on the rise, and it is, but. If you're a UMass fan and you have Don Brown all recruiting, that's a big-time name that can pull in some kids out of state. So, um, no, I don't think they have. And just real quick on the portal, too, URI is another team that went hard in the portal. I think they had eight kids um, coming out of there last Wednesday. So it just depends on where you're at and, and how bad you need to succeed right away. Well, and Jim Fleming has said to me in the past that he doesn't love the portal or the concept of the portal, but that he recognizes that it's a part of the college football landscape and how you, you can build a winning program. And so I think he gets that part of it. And that's why they've been a program the last couple of years that have been, that have been, has been, I should say, very heavily involved in the portal. Going back to UMass, I disagree with you on your Massachusetts point. I get what you're saying about Don Brown and, and national name recognition. They brought in some talented kids in the portal um, I like the Mazzotti kid, the tight end out of San Jose State. I think he can help them next year. Kid Rome, the lineman from Cal, can help them as well. But I disagree. I think from an from a high school recruiting developmental standpoint, they need to do better in Massachusetts. And I respectfully disagree with a lot of the people that were on Twitter on National Signing Day last Wednesday talking about how they've done well in Massachusetts. You brought in one kid in this class from Massachusetts. One. There's one kid from the state of Massachusetts in the class of 2024. So don't don't tell me, are they recruiting kids in this state? 100%. We know they are. But don't give me this nonsense that they're bringing in all this talent from Massachusetts or they might be in the conversation. But even when Walt Bell was here, they weren't sealing the deal. In fact, you can make the argument they're probably taking more Massachusetts kids when he was here versus what Brown is doing right now. So I get what you're saying, and and that helps you in the portal, and that will help you in certain areas of the country where you have inroads, and obviously in the DMV and in the Midwest where UMass does have strong recruiting ties, New York, it helps. It 100% does. But I still think you need to get more Massachusetts talent. A kid like Cooper Ackerman shouldn't be going to UConn. He should be going to UMass. Now, UMass recruited him. They made a concerted effort, but I think – Obviously, UConn does have an advantage in terms of facilities and and profile. But all that being said, you've got to keep as many of those kids, especially a kid like him, who might be a, a on the fence Boston College kid, but a kid that you could get. You got to find a way to keep him. By the way, the player that I like a lot that UMass did add in the portal is quarterback Lake Ellis. I got to see him a bunch at Bryant the last few years. He is a terrific player, and I think he's good enough to step in and start for them right away. So 
I definitely think um, I like what they did in the portal. I think they added guys that can step in and and come in in the spring and help them not only this spring in terms of development, but obviously help them as we get into the season next year. All right, uh, final segment here. We're going to talk a little bit of high school real quick. Adam, I just wanted you to uh, talk a little bit about the our all-state teams, which are going to be unveiled after the new year. Also, we're going to be unveiling our Division One through Eight Coaches and Players of the Year in Massachusetts. And we're going to be unveiling our Coaches and Players of the Year in Connecticut for each class as well, as well as our all-state team down there. We're also going to be unveiling our college all-star teams as well after the new year. All that stuff will be coming out next week. But, uh, Adam, just get into um, – just, just let our viewing audience know where we're at with the Massachusetts All-State teams. Well, it's it's just a really at this point in the process, it's getting a master list of names, and so it's you know it's guys that are going to be on those first three teams, and then honorable mention, and it's a lot of fun because you get to talk to coaches about players and learn about guys that maybe you didn't really know there were good players during the season. You talk, you know some of the people that emailed in. Uh, were giving me names of guys that I hadn't really were really off my radar, but you see their stats, you watch a little bit of their film, and they're obviously deserving. Um, so it's really good. Like a lot of these guys, you, you know beforehand, some of these guys are, are a surprise sort of pick. And it's a lot of fun just to go over how good these players are, where they're going to college, you know, how many rushing yards they had or starts or what have you. So um, it's been a really fun process, and it is every year. Yeah, no, I agree. And there's a lot of worthy, worthy players in each division in Massachusetts that deserve to not only be on our all-state teams, but also deserve to be considered for divisions uh, one through eight players and coaches of the year. And again, a lot of those choice oftentimes, and people ask me about this all the time, you know, your decision-making process in regards to that, just like with our top 25, I think our process is the same. I think we have a lot of conversation. I think we talk things through. Um us, Tyler Amaral, people that are involved with us in the high school scene. I think that we do a lot of, a lot of, we, we have a lot of these conversations that enable us to really focus on, on the kids and, and get the right kids on these lists. And there's a lot of kids that are deserving. Like you said, oftentimes you might remember the top performers off the top of your head, but then there's a lot of kids that had great seasons that might not have been in programs that made playoff runs or won state titles. So um, certainly it'll, it'll be, it'll be, It'll be fun. We take a lot of pride in doing what we do, and um, you know we're looking forward to to putting out um, these lists here right after the new year. We'll get through this week, and then we're off and running in a couple of weeks. We're going to be starting up again with our off-season shows with the the recruiting visit and the coaches chat, and then of course we'll also as soon as the Patriots season is over, we'll jump right into our Patriots Paul stuff. So plenty of stuff ahead. Uh, final thoughts here, gentlemen. Again, I do want to apologize, folks. We were not on Twitter tonight. We're going to try to get that fixed, and we're still working on figuring out our podcast situation so that we can get the podcast back up and running as well. But final thoughts, gentlemen. Just uh, one thing we didn't mention. Uh, Dan Curran officially took over at Holy Cross last week. and just well, we talked about this last week, but you were on assignment. That's, that's true. Um, no, just again, congrats to him, and um, I think he's going to fit in seamlessly with that entire culture there, and uh, he's already you know been – been crushing and recruiting. I believe Mason McSweeney from St. John's Prep is headed there. So uh, I think I saw that yesterday or the day before. So um, again, just congrats to him and uh, we're thrilled for him. And and the fact that we don't have to learn anybody new is is also pretty nice selfishly. But um, and of course, we'll have 
continued Patriots coverage these last two weeks too. Yeah, it's 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 bowl week, so um, I'm looking forward to that BC bowl. I hope they do well uh, and sort of close it out strong. Yeah, and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Coach Gennetti getting elevated at Merrimack. I think it's a terrific, terrific hire. Consistency, continuity is key. Merrimack is a program that throughout its history and its brief history has placed a premium on that. I think Coach Gennetti is a terrific recruiter. I think he's going to do a great job with the Merrimack program and keeping it to where it, it has been in recent years. And we're looking forward to having Coach on this offseason uh, on the New England football show at some point when we do our coaches um, roundtable stuff, when we when we bring in our coaches later on this spring and we start previewing the upcoming season. So uh, we're excited for him. He's going to do a terrific job there. And, of course, that's been a program that has, has had a lot of talent come through those doors in recent years. And I think that Coach Gennetti and, and the members of that staff that are there are going to keep that going. All right, gentlemen, great job as always. We hope to resolve our issues with Twitter and the podcast so that we can be back on Twitter next week. Like I said earlier, if we can figure that out here in the next 24 hours or so, we'll uh, we'll put the show back up again on Twitter. So make sure that you look for that. That'll do it for this week's episode of the New England Football Show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin, I'm John Serenitas. We are going to be back with you again next Tuesday night. And then the following week, we're back on Monday nights. Until then... Happy New Year. Enjoy the rest of this week, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. See ya.